0: This is Sunandita Santanam with Generation Justice, and I'm so honored to be speaking with Dr. Miranda Durham, a family physician who has worked at the New Mexico Department of Health since November 2019 as the Northwest Region Health Officer. Dr. Durham is the planning chief for the COVID-19 vaccine and testing team. Before joining DOH, she worked for the Indian Health Service for 22 years, providing full-spectrum family medicine, including pediatric, prenatal, adult, and geriatric care. Dr. Miranda Durham, welcome to Generation Justice. Please tell us
1: a little more about yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Sunny. It was really nice to be here. Um, so a little bit about myself. I, um, you know, I actually graduated from. Uh, college and wasn't really clear about what I wanted to do. I I ended up joining the Peace Corps and spent two and a half years in Africa as a school teacher. Um, But through that really had, I mean, I lived in a village that had very little health care and started getting involved with, you know, trying to figure out just basic things like how girls could get birth control and came back to the United States, worked for a public health firm for a year and decided I wanted to go to medical school. And I think that's a much more common model now, but not so much for um, people my age. So I went to medical school and then ended up during medical school coming out to um, actually Arizona and working in Tuba City with the Indian Health Service and just love the model of care. It's very, you know, holistic in many ways, like the pharmacies, works closely with um, primary care, and it's a great family medicine model. So um, after I uh, graduated from residency, came back to New Mexico and um, worked in Crown Point and continued on uh, from there with the Indian Health Service. Um, In November of 2019, I decided for something new and uh, came to the Department of Health Um, And as you know, that was just a few short months before um, the COVID-19 pandemic started. And so really most of my time at the Department of Health so far has been working on on COVID-19 issues. And that's
0: kind of my story. Cool. Um, I know you mentioned that you work with the New Mexico Department of Health. Do you want to talk a little bit about your role
1: there? So um, I always say, I'm not actually sure what my real job is at the Department of Health, but, um, and that's only a little bit true, the North, the Department of Health, I mean, we're a little bit unique in New Mexico in that we have a centralized Department of Health that really works across the state. It's divided into four regions, and each region has its own structure with a regional director and then a regional health officer, which is like a medical director, and that's my job. And then in every county, there's at least one public health office with the care provided there is um, largely STD, family planning, tuberculosis, and harm reduction services. So, so that's that's my job. And then with COVID, we all got pulled into doing COVID work, getting you know out at like Expo here in New Mexico and doing drive-through testing, just like thousands of people in a morning, and then doing vaccine when vaccine came along. So yeah, that's that's the job.
0: So could you tell us a little bit about where we currently are in the COVID-19 pandemic and do you think that the pandemic is
1: over? So unfortunately, I don't think the pandemic is over. I think it is um, shifting. and, And I think it is a really hard question where we are. So I think, you know, in the short term, we can see like, all right, we're in another phase where cases are starting to go up. We're seeing that in New Mexico. We're definitely seeing that on the coast. And, you know, some countries are going up and some countries are going down. New variants continue to come up. You know, I think what is different now is we have a lot more tools to help fight the pandemic. So, you know, we are seeing cases starting to go up and and hospitalizations are following, but it's, and, and it's probably just a little bit too soon to know how much hospitalizations will go up. Hopefully we won't be overwhelmed the way we were with Omicron. And again, I think, you know, with the treatments we have and with the vaccines we have, And, you know, people may or may not like masking, but it is a good tool for helping. So I think, you know, we will have a little bit, we'll have to wait and see. And I think that is one of the hard things about this is just that, you know, there's never been a crystal ball to see kind of what it's going to look like for the next couple of months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think are some of the most important mitigating strategies that we can be utilizing right now?
1: So I think, I mean, vaccine is sort of an obvious one. Um, and, and again, it's been a rough ride with the vaccines. You know, we we were just full of so much promise when the, those original studies showed, a, you know, 98% efficacy of vaccine and then had to deal with kind of that waning immunity and breakthrough cases. and But still, despite all that, kind of all the ups and downs and needing, you know, those new booster recommendations, it absolutely, it, you know, the science is really there that um, COVID vaccines continue to be incredibly effective at preventing the worst outcomes of COVID. So, you know, even though it's not a perfect tool and, re- you know, no vaccine has been, so maybe we were a little bit overly optimistic at looking at those numbers and thinking this was going to get us out of COVID, but that really is, um, you know, one of our most important tools. I think the other thing though that is important to think about is testing and treatment. So testing is important because it allows you to make decisions about you know where you might go and who you might talk to. But even more importantly now, testing, if you test right at the beginning of symptoms and you test positive, then you know reaching out to get treatment um, can be really helpful. And again, we've been up and down with all kinds of treatments, but um, Paxlovid, um, which is an oral treatment that is available in New Mexico, I mean, it's available everywhere, really has, the original studies were very promising, and it really has lived up to that Promise, and, and we can circle back around and talk about some of the some of the rebound that we've heard in the news. But overall, very effective medication, and not too bad to take. There's also remdesivir, which is an IV medication, and so a little bit more difficult to organize, but also very effective. And then there's molnupiravir and um, a monoclonal antibody. But anyway, I think the message is getting tested and then getting a prescription. And with the Paxlovid, with the oral medications, you really do have to start them within five days of treatment. That is hard to organize. So, you know, getting, getting a test and not kind of waiting around for three days to decide, should I get a test or should I not get a test? Get a test. If it's positive, reach out right away to a provider, get that prescription, go pick it up right away and get started on the medication. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Oh, and I, so we were talking about, but um, I, I really do have to continue to put masking on the list of things as unpopular as it is, but masking is a great mitigation tool. So I think we've seen lifting of a lot of mask mandates. And I think that really is so that people should be able to, to some extent to make their own decision about, you know whether they want to mask and where they want to mask so if you are outside jogging you know you probably don't have to mask you're not at high risk but you know if you're going to visit a high risk relative and you've been out and about then that might be a time that you want to mask
0: yeah you talked a little bit about covid-19 treatments how can new mexico like the new mexico community
1: access these treatments and therapeutics good question so yeah i mean as many people have Probably experience the medical system doesn't always move that fast. I mean, there's urgent care, but if you call to make a provider visit, you know, it's a couple weeks, that is not going to help you if you're trying to get oral medication. So, um, our pharmacy team has actually done a really good job putting together on our website a list of providers who are willing to see people with COVID symptoms or who have, you know, tested positive at home with COVID. Have have kind of figured out a way to work those acute visits into their flow, and that includes a number of telehealth providers. Um, this really is a fairly good forum for telehealth because, you know, if, if you have mild to moderate symptoms, which is um, you know the indication for the oral treatment, meaning you don't need to go to the hospital, you're not feeling seriously short of breath, and your oxygen levels not low. Then you know, getting on a video visit and having that script called in, um, and and I do think one silver lining of COVID is that you know there have been a lot of interesting adaptations of the medical system to deal with you know a lot more telehealth. Um, I think a lot more acknowledgement that meeting patients where they are and not making them drive an hour if there's a way to do it, you know that that's been a good thing.
0: Good, yeah. Uh, I know we're talking a little bit about COVID-19 vaccines. How are the vaccines and the boosters evolving as the variants continue to evolve?
1: So, yeah, interesting question. It um, we, you know, as you know, we have three vaccines that are um, approved in the United States. There's actually a fourth one that's getting talked about by the FDA on June 7th called Novavax. And that one has been authorized by the World Health Organization and in many other countries. So we may have a fourth option. It is amazing to look at the kind of the lineup of vaccines coming down. I mean, there's probably 50 vaccines in various stages of development. Some of which will never make it, you know, that 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 will kind of fail in their trials. But some of which, um, some of which will. So it's been interesting. There's like nasal vaccines under development. In terms of the current vaccines, I think that mRNA is an interesting technology that holds the promise of being fairly easy to adapt. So you know, I think what's in both the companies that make mRNA vaccine, Moderna and Pfizer, are working on um, Omicron specific vaccine types. And so you know, I, I don't know too much more about when we might see them, um, but uh, and and hopefully we'll see them before it's onto a different variant. And then I think people are definitely working on vaccines that have uh, that last longer and vaccines that maybe maybe have a have a broader efficacy against more different types of variants, um, like s- sort of a, a pan-coronavirus um, vaccine. So, you know, I think we will continue to see um, developments in the vaccine world.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's some great information. So I know that um Congress doesn't fund more research for new vaccines or boosters. So I'm just wondering what we can do to protect
1: ourselves. Right, your people in Congress. <laughs> yeah, I mean it really was an amazing time. You know, the federal funding I that that um sort of powered the initial vaccines, you you know, it it was. Amazing how quickly vaccines were able to come to market with that kind of support. So I think hopefully, I, I mean, medical medical companies have continued. You know, they they that is kind of the business they're in, develop new things, and um, so hopefully they will continue to to do so. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we will continue to have some funding for that that development. And then in terms of protecting ourselves, I think you know it is. You know, the vaccines we have, while not perfect, it's still better to have the vaccine on board even in the current, with the current variants, even though we know that it doesn't work quite as well as it did against the old variants. So I think still not giving up on the vaccine we have.
0: Absolutely. How has dis and misinformation impacted your work
1: in the pandemic? Uh, That is an interesting question. I mean, it has been interesting just on a being out at vaccine sites and, and even from some relatives, just hearing really interesting things and having to be, you know, patient. I mean, we're all so tired and then someone kind of tells you something that isn't right and it's hard to be patient. But I do think being patient and empathetic, listening, um, but then on a global level, I mean, I really do see disinformation as, I mean, it is a public health threat. Um, people are getting, you know, just wrong information about how to protect themselves, and that is frustrating. I think the, the surgeon general actually did call um, disinformation a public health emergency, so so it definitely has impacted our work. I, I, I mean, overall, we've been fairly lucky in New Mexico, or not lucky, but I mean, we've had a good response to vaccine and a lot of support from our elected officials. You know, that has been very helpful.
0: Yeah. So what about the impacts of long COVID? What do we know about that?
1: There is just so much still to learn about COVID. And this really falls into a category of, you know, a, a group of, yeah, lots to learn about what causes long COVID, why some people get it and some people don't. I mean, the CDC just put out an infographic that, you know, they're estimating one in five people are actually have some kind of lasting effect for, you know, beyond a month from COVID. And I think, I mean, this is kind of one of the things that, um, you know, I, I think we do have to take seriously. So even, you know, even if you feel like I've got my vaccine and I'm, not going to get hospitalized or intubated or die. But still, who wants to have these ongoing symptoms of long COVID? Like, I mean, it can affect heart, breathing, energy level, bone and joint issues. But, you know, in terms of like, how do we fix it? It is hard to know. Interestingly, there was a study recently that did um, look at the rate of long COVID in people who are vaccinated versus people who aren't vaccinated, it does look like vaccine might be um, somewhat preventative. So even if, you, if you're if you vaccinated and you get COVID, um, that you are less likely to get long COVID or symptoms that go on um, beyond a month. So that's interesting. Um, it also in some studies shows that if you get a dose of vaccine, you know, when you already have long COVID, that that can help. And then people are looking into whether some of the treatments like Paxlovid, I mean, it's right now indicated for the first five days of symptoms, but studies are going on to look at whether it's helpful in long COVID. Still lots to learn on on that one.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, Really helpful information. So along the lines of long COVID, um what kinds of resources are available to people who think they may have long covid?
1: Yeah, I think that is that's a little bit of a hard question. I think um you know as as a physician, it is we're kind of learning right along with everyone else. Um there are uh resources like the uh UNM has a great ECHO program where clinicians can get on a, a weekly call and learn about a topic and even present patients that they may be you know, wondering how they might help better. And there is one that just started on long COVID, which is very interesting. Um, from the patient point of view, though, I'm sh- I know there's lots of patients who feel frustrated that there isn't more help out there. I think there are some you know, kind of support groups for people with long COVID. But I think the main thing is finding a primary care physician um, or a a specialist if you're in specialty care and really trying to, you know, partner with that uh, clinician and and kind of work through it together. Because, you know, again, not one that anyone knows the answers for sure about.
0: Yeah, that can definitely be a a hard one. so before we wrap up, um, I'm just wondering: is there a message that you want to share for our community?
1: Yeah, I think you know. There's. I, I think the biggest one for me, um, outside of the get vaccinated and know about treatments, is this has been this obviously has been such a hard two and a half years of living with COVID but just that, you know, maybe having patience with the evolving science, I think we all would like to know the answers, would like to know where we're going and when it's over it. it, uh, But, you know, we, we don't know that. And so, and I think it's also been hard that, you know, we hear one thing and then maybe we hear another thing and it sort of feels like it starts to feel a little bit like there's shifting ground. I, I'm trying, I keep trying to look at it as evolving science. I, some of it is so incredibly interesting, some of it's so inspiring. it's all exhausting um, to keep up with. But that kind of hanging in there, and there are a few basic things that we do know at this point in the pandemic, and that is the masking and the vaccination and treatments do help. So kind of getting back to those basics when you feel overwhelmed by all the information, and then just kind of hanging with this living science process that, um, you know, it's just unprecedented in, in my lifetime anyway.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we close off?
1: I mean, I think another thing, again, I'm relatively new to public health, but I, I do think what I hope comes out of this, to, that we do take time to think about what we have learned. I mean, we've hardly had time to process, um, and it is an ongoing situation, but to think about you know, what are some of the things that did come out of, co- of the whole COVID situation that can be helpful for making healthcare more accessible to people. Um, and then also really realizing the impact of, you know, how COVID has highlighted inequities in our medical system, which we've known all along are there. But I think it, COVID has shed some important light on that and, and hoping that we don't, you know, we keep working on that as we go forward, go forward with COVID, but go forward with everything else that we now need to catch up with in terms of unmet medical needs.
0: Absolutely, I think the point about the inequities in our healthcare medical systems is huge. And we've just seen that with the number of you know, COVID cases rising, um, people who don't have access to healthcare are struggling. And I think that's a really important point point. and I'm glad you made it. Okay, um, thank you so much. I really appreciate you talking to me about COVID, COVID vaccines, boosters, Um, and like the therapeutics and the treatments for COVID-19 in New Mexico and the the kinds of resources that are available to um, New Mexican people. And I know that considering the funding for COVID um, and its research has significantly decreased, I'd assume that it's more difficult to access information in general, but also information of quality. So I'm very thankful and grateful to have um, had the opportunity to sit down and talk to you and see what's going on in our community.
1: So thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure and thanks for taking an interest in it and inviting me today.
0: Of course, thank you. For Generation Justice, I'm Sanandita Santanam.